This podcast is reserved for audiences 18 years and older. Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today's guest is a 28-year-old leatherman who's been active in the community for the past six years. He's a part of leadership with organizations such as Club X and Fetishman San Diego, and holds the title of Mr. San Diego Leather 2018. Get ready for some more Leather Talk. This is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020, and today we have Dorian. Hi, Dorian. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Good. I can't believe um, that you're drinking a cocktail early this morning. I mean... <laughs> totally joking. It's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> well, Dorian, why don't you uh, give us a little snapshot of who you are for our audience members that might be uh, familiar with you. Sure, yeah. Um, so, hi, my name is Dorian. Um, I was, or I guess I am. Um, Mr. San Diego Leather 2018. I'm God, how old am I? Uh, I'm 28. <laughs> um, 28, gay male, pretty simple. Uh, I've been around the leather community since 2015, so like six years or so now. I live in San Diego, California, but I am involved with a couple of organizations here. I'm currently the vice president of uh, Club X, which is a pan- uh, pansexual organization down here. I have served on the leadership for Fetishman San Diego, helped do do lots of teaching across the country. Um, I'm currently on the production team for San Diego Leather and Boot Black, which is also produces San Diego Leather Pride. Yeah, so I'm just that's kind of me in a in, in a couple sentences, I guess. Wow. Okay. Cool. So you're actually you're pretty active. It seems like. Yeah, I like to keep myself busy. I've been I, I've been pretty involved for the last couple of years. Okay, cool. And are you, um, I think I remember talking about this earlier. Are you a student right now or? Yeah, so I'm a full-time student. I'm currently a marketing major. Um, I really want to do lots of work with nonprofits and fundraising. It's something that I found I was really passionate about even before my title year and just kind of carried into my leather stuff, which was really nice. But I I really enjoy doing nonprofit work, especially when it comes to getting money for people who need it. Yeah, so I'm a full-time student during the day and by night I'm a full-time bartender. Okay. Oh my god. You're like Batman. <laughs> Businessman yeah. by day and Batman by night. <laughs> Have you ever seen me in Batman in the same room? <laughs> um, okay, so uh let's talk a little bit about your origins. You know, where where are you from originally? Um so I actually I grew up here in California. I grew up in um San Bernardino County, like so a little city called Rialto. Kind of, I, I would call it like a middle, like lower middle class uh, kind of city, I guess. Okay. So I, I grew up there. I lived there for 18 years, um, graduated high school, and then 10 days later, moved down to San Diego um, and have been here ever since. Very cool. And so you said you identify as a gay male. Did you come out at that time when you lived in Rialto? Yeah. So I came out originally to like friends and family in my, like, I guess mid teens, or at least my friends in my mid teens. I started coming out to my family around 16. Came out to like my mom and dad around 17, 18. Um, but basically by the time I graduated high school, I was fully out. There wasn't really a there there wasn't really a closet big enough. Um, I was a theater kid, I was a cheerleader, I was uh what else did I do? I was 
one of those smart people, um, oh. supposedly. Supposedly. <laughs> I'm always fascinated with like how early people come out because I don't know. Like when I grew up, there was like one gay guy that everybody knew about in my high school, and like that was it. Like nobody else knew of any other gay people. So like you came out when you're 16. That seems pretty young to me. I mean, maybe not today, but. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I, I mean, you asked for me like that would have been 12 years ago. So 2009 ish. What's funny is that like, so I basically came out even before, like probably seventh, eighth grade is kind of when I started realizing I had to think for dudes. Okay. Um, but then by the time I was a senior, it was me and this guy that I'd basically gone to school with our entire lives who really just kind of butt heads. <laughs> um, but we were like the two gay guys at our school, the, the, the two people everyone, everyone knew. And I was a theater kid. I was a cheerleader. And he was like a track, uh, like he did track and field. And he also like was just like really well, like, like good at academics. So like by the end of the year, like when the quote unquote new gay kids would spring up, um, <laughs> even our administration would kind of send him our direction, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. That's cool. So like for some mentorship or some kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I, I definitely remember being like a junior, senior and then like having queer kids kind of just sh like pop up and like either get involved with theater and get involved with somewhere and like kind of get pulled in our direction. And like, um, you know, a couple of them I still am friends with today. Um, I know some of them have, like have transitioned, um, mm. you know, over the years, and that's really neat to have been a part of that, just kind of being that mentorship role, that, like, safe space for them to, like, talk about the things they need to talk about. I didn't know any better at that point, but, like, it was cool to be able to, like, hold space for somebody. Right. And sometimes, like, just having somebody like you around that you feel safe with is, like, just as important, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I agree. <clears throat> so, you, like, when did you start figuring out that you like dudes? At what point were you like, oh, man, this is, this is something? So there was a time in a locker room in like the sixth grade where I was like, I probably shouldn't be looking at everyone's penis. <laughs> and then I had to ask myself some questions. Uh -huh. Yeah. But I mean, uh, no, in all seriousness, I mean, I'd been quote unquote effeminate um, since a really early age. So I got teased about being gay for a really long time. Mm -hmm. So there was a period of time where like, you know, in my, like in that early, like middle school ages, I was like, maybe I'm just like saying this because people say I am. And like, maybe I'm not actually gay. And then turns out that I actually, like, I mean, like, you know, like everyone has that like little bit of self-doubt kind of thing. Yeah. Like I can't be gay, you know, but um, it was probably like my early mid teens where I was like, yeah, like I am sexually aroused by men and I, that's kind of cool. Um, I mean, even today I tell people like that I'm homosexual, but I, I will, I do identify as panromantic. I'll date anybody. Like I, will date men, women, um, non-binary folk, gender fluid folk. Um, it doesn't, or it doesn't matter to me the, what, what the package looks like, but I know that I'm sexually aroused by people who exhibit masculine or male energy. So. Got it. Okay. So at the time then when you're like in sixth, seventh grade and you're discovering yourself, was there any struggle with that or were you immediately like, okay, I'm gay. Like, this is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm good. Smooth roads. Um, I don't know that I had like a, I don't, I don't know if struggle is the right word. Um, for me, it was, I mean, the hard part for me was that, like, my parent, well, actually, no, my mother, um, is pretty religious, mm -hmm. um, and I am very close to my mom, so it was, like, very much, like, oh, I don't want to disappoint my mom, so, like, maybe I'll just, like, tell people that I'm bisexual, and, like, I'll only, like, look at dudes, but I'll, like, if, it, not that anybody actually really dates in, like, middle school, but I was, like, but I'll only, like, go out with girls, uh -huh. and so that was kind of my, uh, 
my my like I can be gay as long as my mom doesn't know. Um, <laughs> I I always love how like the bisexual thing comes up because it's like I don't know why that's easier. Like in our brain, we feel like it's easier for people to process than just straight up gay. Um, yeah, because that crossed my mind too. I was 100%. like, maybe if I say bye, like it's it'll be okay. It, like I don't know what's going through my head, but at what point do I think that <laughs> my parents are ever gonna be okay? You know, religious parents ever going to be okay with like saying I'm anything but straight? <laughs> like, I, it just made it easier in my brain, kind of thing too. Yeah. Well, what's nice for me though is like with my parents, um, my mom is super accepting now, which is awesome. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm a mama's boy, so like I pretty much uh, like most of the things I do, I'm like, if my would my mom approve of this? No. Well, I'm going to do it anyway, probably. <laughs> um, but you know, there's there's things where I'm like, okay, well, you know, I don't I don't want to. Uh, so the whole gay thing was very specifically like, okay, if my mom doesn't approve of this, like there's going to have to be some choices. And mm. that's a conversation she and I actually very uh, had very intimately, like when I first moved to San Diego. Uh, my dad, on the other hand, not 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 the greatest relationship. and uh, But he has come around to to appreciate and uh, enjoy my partners over the last couple of years. So are your parents still relatively religious? My mother is super religious. Um, my dad was never actually religious. Um, okay. He was. My dad was never religious. He just like he just has opinions. Um, so, what was that like talking to your mother? Like, what was the turning point for her? Where my mom? It was. It was very strange because I remember like coming. Actually, so we were. Um, we lived off the freeway. So mm-hmm. I remember like we were driving home from somewhere other, and I told her I was like, "Hey, mom. So don't really know how to tell you this without like telling you this. So I'm just gonna tell you, but like." I'm like ninety six percent sure I'm just like gay. Ninety six percent. There's a four percent chance that it's I'm not. <laughs> There's a four percent chance that I'm wrong, but also I'm almost never wrong. Um, no, but I told her, you know, mom, I'm pretty sure I'm gay, or you know, I'm, you know, I'm interested in boys or whatever. And she was kind of like, huh, why do you say that? And I told her, I was like, well, you know, the, here's my, my experience so far. And like I told her, like I already talked to my sisters at this point. I talked to like my friends knew. Like I'd already been kind of like exploring the concept of gay for hmm. a couple of years i was I, I wasn't sleeping with men yet um believe it or not uh, but i told her this and um my mom didn't talk to me for like two weeks wow and that was the like the hardest part is my mother like just would not talk to me like for two weeks um and then i remember one day um i just got so basically i was i was in theater so i was like always busy every night so i was like cool like, i don't have to go home i don't have to be awkward but one day like i got off rehearsal super early I went home, like, locked myself in my room, like, started doing homework, started watching TV, started doing whatever I was doing, and, like, there's, like, a knock on my door, and I'm, like, oh, God. And my mother walks in, she's, like, hey, let's go for, like, let's go, let's go for a drive. And I'm, like, oh, this is how it ends. This is how I die. <laughs> yeah, she's going to throw you in a ditch somewhere. <laughs> well, even worse, so it was, what it was is, like, my mom, like, we drove out, we got ice cream, uh-huh. and I was still, like, very silent, and my mom, like... <laughs> I remember, like, my mother driving really slowly over a bridge, and I was like, oh, my God, my mother's literally going to kill, like, oh, my God, this, I've I've destroyed my family, um, and just, like, super panicked. But then she yeah. ended up parking, like, in front of my middle school, um, like, where, where I went to middle school, and, like, we sat there, and we talked, and she was like, I don't get it. I, I don't think, I don't think you, you can, you, I don't think you're old enough to, like, make this decision. Hmm. Or, actually, I was 17 when I told my mother. Um, and... Uh, like I don't, I just don't think you've had enough. Like maybe we should just get you help and whatever. And and it was very hard to hear that from my mom. But that I, but it was fu- like the thing that was a turning for me. I was like, 
mom, I love you lots. Um, I will be 18 in, I think, four months. If you want me to tell you in four months that I'm gay, it's probably not going to change between now and then. Yeah. Um, so if you want me to wait to tell you that I'm gay until I'm an adult, that's cool. But I don't need to go to therapy for this. I'm fine. Like, I'm I'm happy. Um, so that was kind of the turning point with my mother. Like, she has, uh, I think it really stunk it. Uh, it really sunk into her when um, she started meeting the guys I was dating. Like, yeah. um, like when I moved to San Diego, I, you know, I moved down here when I was 18. So my mother was super worried. Um, I didn't really start dating people that I bring around my family until I was like in my early 20s. Um, okay. And so when she started seeing the people that I was dating, she was like, oh, like, it's literally just like, he, like it, it's like dating. It's like any of them I'm dating. And I was like, right. Yeah. Like you weren't coming like in I'm... with like peacock feathers and glitter. And... Yeah. Like... <laughs> I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that either. Like, right. I mean, my mother's definitely seen me. I mean, the thing is, what I think was super funny about this is that in high school, I'd done drag for a couple of different performances. Oh, wow. And my family was super cool with that. <laughs> like... Like, yeah, they justified so it, was, it, it as like it's acting, right? Yeah, and I'm like, well, it's, I mean, yes, that was acting. I mean, I don't do drag now. Um, it's just not something I enjoy. It's not something I want to do. Um, costumes are great, but uh, mm-hmm. drag is an art form that I just can't do. Um, I respect everybody who does drag. I, I just could never. Uh, I could never be that good. And if I can't be good at something, I don't want to do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's it's super funny that my family just never. Like, I guess, not as connect the dots, they just, like, were, my mom was weird about it until she, like, started meeting the people I was dating. And she was like, oh, like, you're all, like, this is just, like, this is fine. Everything's fine. I still don't like them because, you know, not because they were, they were men or because I was gay, but because I was her son and, that like, nobody's ever good enough. Right, right. Now, let's talk about your, your first sexual experience. Did you, have you had sexual experiences with women before? I have. Okay. If you don't mind me asking, which, like, which one came first? And did that help you confirm your identity? Uh, so I had sex with men way before I had sex with women. I actually had my my first time having sex with uh, with a woman was, like, uh, I think I was, like, 23, 24. Okay. So, like, kind of relatively recently. Um, it's kind of a funny story. So <laughs> one of my, like, best friends down here in the leather community and this and this woman... We were all kind of dating each other, but not dating, not not as a triad. So I was dating her, and I was dating him, and they were dating each other. Oh, um, okay. Well, like, and it's hard. It's weird to say dating because we were just like going out and like enjoying each other's company and like playing and like do, you know doing our thing. But, um, but we didn't really do that together. But then one day we were all volunteering at an event, um, and we got there like an hour early, and it's and it's a party, it's a sex party, um, and he and I had just gone to go get like bon me and like. Still had jalapenos on our hand, or like jalapeno juice on our hand, uh-huh. um, and mouths. And we went, we were going to. So the plan was we were going to go oh down God. on her. Wait, and, hold on, wait and... a second. <laughs> <laughs> I can see where this this is a dangerous road. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that that was my first time having sex with a woman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wait a second. So the plan was to like eat her out with jalapenos. Yeah, and we both juice. forgot that we had jalapenos <gasps> on like our hands and breath. Oh, or like no. mouths, so we're like, oh no, yeah. So basically, I took that as a sign, as like I should probably not have sex with women ever again. <laughs> I mean, you know, I always say try it once, try it twice, but maybe next time you don't have jalapeno juice in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the at least we learned how to handle the situation. That was 
It was a learning experience. Wait, so what happened after? Like, did did she have to go take a shower or something? Or if I, God, if I remember correctly, I think we had to pour milk into her. Oh wow! Because you know, milk, milk and hot stuff like neutralize each other. That's going to be the title of your episode: "Milk and Hot Stuff" with Dorium. (laughs) (laughs) Milk and hot stuff. I like that. (laughs) Oh wow! Oh my gosh! And so, how old were you when you started having sex with men? Then penetrative or like oral? I mean, I guess just any sexual experience counts. Um, I think my first time having like oral sex with a guy, I was like seventeen or eighteen. Okay, that's pretty. That's pretty cool. I mean, like I know a lot of people have sex when they're like ten, eleven, twelve years old, and that always like blows my mind because I was around twenty, mm-hmm. twenty one when I first had like any sexual experience. Yeah. Now, was there a reason why you didn't explore that at a younger age? Um. Well, so. Like I said earlier, my mother's super religious, so and I just didn't have a lot of exposure to to like other gay folk. Um, my dad would have been super proud of me if I would have had had sex you know, <laughs> as soon as I got I, as soon as my dick got hard. My dad would have been so happy to know that I was fucking. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, uh, but my mother was like, uh, my mother was the more important person in my life, so I was like, eh, I don't need sex. I'll just like casually jack off and watch porn. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of work too to like figure. It's all a lot of out. work. Yeah, like I mean. I think I think the first time I had like penetrative sex, or not sorry, penetrative, sorry, oral sex, uh, was actually in a closet in my bedroom. Oh wow! Like you literally <laughs> yeah. had gay sex in the closet. In the closet, yeah, like wow. that. Correct. <laughs> um, and I think I was like sixteen or seventeen. Wow! And like, how did that arise? That moment. Uh, uh, I honestly don't. I couldn't. I I I don't know. I couldn't even tell you honestly. Uh-huh. I just remember like being in because my closet had like a like a lower shelf for like shoes and then like an upper shelf for like other things mm-hmm. and like the space in between was big enough to like sit down in and my closet was wide enough for two maybe three people if you really tried I, but I just remember like sitting down on the thing and like I think I think it was like a guy from somebody from one of my classes was like over just hanging out and like I sat down just whatever conversation and then was suddenly getting my dick sucked that was cool. <gasps> But it was also like, honestly, it's such a lots of overwhelming feeling at that one moment that I probably have like ignored some chunk in the middle. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it was neat. It was it was it was neat. <laughs> <laughs> it was a neat experience, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. Uh, like it's funny like when i tell people a story i'm like yeah no the first time i got my dick sucked was literally in a closet literally in a closet and then i came out (laughs) and then yeah no i remember um having friends over from high school and like like i said like nobody was really gay or at least they didn't have like the audacity to come out but like i've had guys over from high school back in the day and i remember being like oh like whoever wins this round of tekken um, like the other person has to take a piece of clothing off, and I'd always try to get like guys naked in my room, and it would never work. <laughs> um, I think I, so. What's funny is I used to play that very similar concept with like my girlfriends, like growing up, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like didn't actually care. I just I very remember, I very specifically have memories of like telling my girlfriends like you could have a better bra and not like in like a shitty, I want it sexy kind of way. It's like, no, like your tits would look better this way. Um, <laughs> and those shoes I, do not go with that G string. And those shoes don't work. Um, <laughs> no, I, I remember having those. Well, cause I was, again, I was a cheerleader. So like all of my friends on the team were girls, except for the one or two other guys that were on the team. Oh God. Um, 
So I was like, okay, well, like you know, being uh, being a cheerleader is the youngest. Uh, well, yeah, not youngest, um, but in high school, like it's the first time you're really encouraged, like sell your the quote unquote sell your body for performance. Yeah. So it was one of those like, no, this is how we do it. <laughs> so let's talk about your your leather journey. I mean, what is your dynamic right now? Do you have any any partners or? Yeah, so um, I, I'm a switch, um, okay. both in Power Exchange and in play. So I live with my master and my daddy. Um, I live with them. I, we have a, I, I live in a house with them. I live downstairs. I live upstairs, which is nice. Basically, it's like having an apartment. But yeah, so I live with them full time. Um, and then I have, I have my boy, and my boy lives about 15 minutes south from me. And then I have my pup, who lives about 10 minutes north from me. Um, and then I have also my... Like former relationship, I'm engaged, um, and he has a boy, um, so our little family is pretty dynamic, which is nice. Wow. Oh, so do all of these like partners? Do are you ever like linked up together at once, or is it you have your establishing relationships and then like your relationships that nobody else is involved in? Um. So, so my master and daddy don't necessarily directly interact with like my boy or my pup, okay. um, in the way of like power exchange or play. But my master and my daddy both called my boy their grand boy. Okay. They're um, part of the family, but they might yeah, be that, like... Yeah, everybody's part of the family. So, you know, we, ha- we have more of that family dynamic, which is great. And I find it to be really supportive for all of us. Everyone has space to grow. Everyone has space to learn. Everyone has space to cook me dinner. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how do you go from... I mean, what was your journey like going from a religious, traditional family background into this kind of leather dynamic so i actually blame my parents a lot for my general affinity for like non-monogamy so i was you know when i was growing up my parents had got together right before having me had me and my younger brother and then basically split up i'd never been married whatever but basically my entire upbringing both of them had been dating other people Mm. but they lived in the same house because they were raising me and my brother Got it. Okay. Um, so, like, I got to see, you know, mommy and daddy dating other people in a way that was, I mean, in retrospect, not super healthy, but whatever. Do what they got to do. Everyone has to get what they got, and that's great. Um, but I got to see this all happening kind of in my upbringing. So when I moved into, you know, my adult life and already had these kind of, like, initial conceptions about what a relationship looked like, I kind of just picked out what I wanted and left what I didn't. And a lot of what I wanted was that I wanted the the happy. I wanted things that came with happy, healthy relationships. And not to say that that means I was just going to ignore all the bad things because the bad things make for the good things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so when I when I transitioned into like my adult life and just non-monogamy, my first like adult relationship was um, as a third for a couple. Oh, wow. Which was, yeah. So that was like my first time dating a guy. Um, and then not only dating him, but also his, at that point, uh, I think fiance. So it was that, that part was the easy, smooth transition as far as like, I have limitless amounts of, of love to give, which is, if you think about it, a religious teaching anyway. Mm-hmm. So, so it wasn't, it wasn't a weird, it wasn't a hard transition at that point. It was the aspect of, um, my mother still doesn't understand the non, the, the, the formal part of the non-monogamy. So every now and again, I say. I have to call my partner. I was like, oh, this is my, you know, she knows my partner, my fiance. I'm like, this is my partner and this is our friends. Um, <laughs> so you kind of have to like contextualize it for her. Yeah. You got a, a code switch for my mom. Um, right. 
but the rest of my family, like, well, my mom and dad, uh, the rest of my family knows, like, I have multiple partners, and I have multiple relationships, and everyone's happy and healthy, and we travel, and we go on vacation, and, you know, that's really cool. All right, so it seems like that kind of format, you were familiarized with it already. Yeah, I was already kind of familiar with the, so the way I like to explain it is, like, if you need 10 things to be happy, it's good to know what those 10 things are, and if one person give you all those 10 things, that's awesome, as long as you're also satisfying the things that they need to be happy. Yes. Um, if one person only gives me, you know, five or six of my things, I'm going to have a conversation with them like, hey, these are the other four things, and I don't think it's fair for me to ask you to change who you are mm-hmm. so that I can be happy. Mm-hmm. Are you comfortable with me finding other outlets to satisfy these things? Yes. I'm I'm cheerleading you right now. You can't see me, but <laughs> yes, 100%. <laughs> because, I mean, I don't know how many of you listening right now like are out there, you have therapists. If you don't think you need therapy, I think everybody needs therapy. It's good to just like run things. But one thing that my therapist told me was like when I first came to him several years ago, I was like, look, my partner doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do this. And these are things that I feel like I need and I want. And, but I love him and he's a part of my life and like all this stuff. And he's like, whoa, whoa, slow down. Like, what are the things that you like about him? And I ran down this laundry list and he goes, okay, you can't ask somebody to be somebody that they're not. Like, your partner is not going to be all these things for you because that's just not him. Like if you need to find that somewhere else, that's okay. And I was like, light bulb, like, oh, wow. You mean one person doesn't have to be everything all the time for all of my needs and all of my wants. Like I can find those things other places. That's okay. And like, maybe, I mean, maybe that means, you know, you're exploring polyamory or, or, um, open relationships, or maybe you can find that in other ways with a monogamous relationship. But I like a hundred percent resonate with that concept concept of like, like this person can't be anybody besides themselves. Yeah. It, it, it took a little while, like really put that into words because I feel like I've always wanted to be the, the, the one thing somebody wants and needs. Mm-hmm. But you know, in the same vein, I was saying like, I can't ask somebody to be all those things for me, I also can't ask myself to be all those things for somebody else. Right. Um, you know, be, being kind to yourself first is like, I've had a lot of really good mentors over the years. You know, you can't be in a happy relationship unless you're happy with yourself first and can't be happy with yourself if you keep trying to change it. Mm, yeah. And, you know, that doesn't mean that that other person can't grow and change. Like, yeah. it just means that, like, you can't demand them. Like, you mm-hmm. know, like, I need you to spit in my face and and you know, slap me in the ass. Well, maybe that person is not that person for you. And like, that's yeah. okay. Yeah. It's, and it, it's one of those things that, that was really hard with a couple of my partners mm-hmm. um, because it was one of those lessons that they didn't already have coming into it. Um, so when I was like, so for a lot of it was like, Hey, like this is what I need right now. Is this something you can provide? And they'd be like, well, I can try. And then it it would or wouldn't work and that's okay. But it was a matter of like, a lot of people take it really hard when you tell them you're not giving me what I need. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't need you to, but I need you, I need to know if you're open to me finding it elsewhere until maybe someday you can or, you know, whatever. Or if they want to get, you know, if they want to become that person, that's great, but I'm not going to be the I'd rather be the catalyst, not the cause. Exactly. Like they're not doing it just because of you. It's because you maybe awakened something in them to their own self-discovery kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So how do you, you said you have a fiance, is that right? 
Mm -hmm. Okay, so what's the story with your fiance? How did you two meet? And like, where are you right now? <laughs> uh, we made a sex party. Oh, uh, was there jalapenos involved in this one too? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. I don't think no. so. Um, so um, a couple of years ago, he and I actually had the same mentor. Um, okay. Uh, well, okay. Um, he was being mentored by somebody who I had also previously gotten some mentorship from um, and had by that point kind of distanced myself from. Okay. But this other person had like asked us like, hey, can I bring this person um, to, to your party? Because I was hosting um, this the, a men's party, a men's play party. Um, and he was like, sure, whatever. You're you're too annoying to deal with, so I'll just say yes and just bring whoever you want. <laughs> so anyway, so um, at this point I was 24, um, but my fiance comes in as the, as the guest of this uh, of this guy who used to mentor us, and I'm just like legitimately my first reaction is who the fuck is this 25 year old shit bag who's in my dungeon? <laughs> um, and it wasn't because like, I didn't like him because he he was he's a friendly person or he I, even that he was a friendly person. But it was just like uh, the guy who was mentor, who was his mentor, um, like literally stopped the party to like make this um, big scene about him being new and pe and and like people wanting to or wanted him to play with people and blah blah blah. Oh, like he made this huge statement. Yeah, he made a whole scene about it, and I was like, "This is irritating. I hate this." Um, and then uh, the, what, what made it worse is that like, I've always prided myself on what skills I have, like, as far as play goes, like, you know, fogging and, uh, you know, rope suspension or fire, you know, any number of things that I'm, that I can do. Uh -huh. And this, uh, and the one thing that, that they were really talking about is that he could throw a single tail, which is a skill I hadn't really practiced very much of. Oh. So I was already like, fuck this guy. He has something I don't. <laughs> he can go eat someone's shit. Right um, after we talk about like, oh, you don't have to be everything for everyone. <laughs> I, yeah, correct. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to be everything for everybody, but I just like to win. Um, <laughs> but uh, so anyway, basically it was the this first night, like he doesn't really pay any attention to me whatsoever. But we're like on opposite sides of the room. I'm doing rope suspension. He's single tailing people. And I'm just like, fuck this guy. I hate him. Uh, whereas I later found out that like he's been asking people all night about me. Oh. <laughs> or like. And, and not like a not like a sexy like fun kind of way, but like he sees rope and doesn't know rope, and I guess the men, like the person who mentored him doesn't do rope either. So he was I guess he had the intention of asking me about rope anyway, uh -huh. but I just kept myself busy because I was angry. Um, <laughs> anyway, but at the end of the night we're cleaning up. He's helping clean up. Everyone, you know, my people are helping. Um, and one of the one of the somebody I was playing with at the time, <clears throat> um, like just outside of the party, um, came up to me and was like, "Hey, so like you play D and D, right?" and we he and I got into a conversation at which point my now fiance overheard and he was like, "Wait, what? You guys, you guys are nerds." <laughs> and and uh, then he kind of just interjected and joined in the conversation, got my number, and uh, the the rest is not history. But that's that's how I met my. That's my how it started. Fiance. Okay. Yeah, that's how it started. Oh, that's so sweet. And how many years have you been together now? Uh ooh, let's see. If, I think. Uh, actually, our anniversary—I don't know when this is airing—but our anniversary is going to be on September second of this year. Oh, so congratulations! So yeah, we'll have been together four years this this uh, September. Okay, yeah, it'll probably air after your anniversary. So well, our anniversary was four years a couple weeks ago. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your your leather journey because you seem to be pretty—I mean—involved with it. That's where you have found a lot of your partners and your fiance. 
Uh, when was the first time you encountered leather or kink? <sighs> Six years ago, 2015. Uh, so I'm a massage therapist. That's that's another job that I've picked up over the years, uh, which is cool for it. Um, and I was working at Massage Envy, and one of the girls I worked with um, is a is 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 kinky, and she said, "Hey, let's go and get some drinks and like just walk down University Ave here in San Diego." I was like, "Sure, whatever." So we did, and on the walk, she's like, "Oh, we have to stop by this store right here," hmm. and so we did. And I don't want to name the store because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. Um, but uh, so we we went to the store and I'm like, why are we here? And it's it's an adult boutique. Um, <laughs> I went upstairs and she, and she's like super excited. And I'm like, why are you so excited? We walk in and like like eyes wide. I'm just like, holy crap! Because there's like 50 people like throwing rope, like oh you God. know uh, tying, like just doing you know shibari and kimbaku. And, and I was watching it and I was like, holy shit! What is this art form that I've never noticed or never even heard of? So that was my first like exposure to it, and then she and I ended up like going, you know, being at work a couple days later, and I was like, "What the fuck? What was that? Tell me more." And it was just a general curiosity for me because uh-huh. I I like art, so not really understanding that there was a sexual aspect to it at that point, I was like, "I want to know more because that was pretty." I like body shaped macrame, um, <laughs> and so we kind of got so so she started taking me to stuff. Um, I think a couple weeks later we went to the, my first class. Um, from this club, Club X, which is where I'm the vice president now. Hmm. Um, here are the things that happened in six years. And I remember this, this club was like a, bl- or this class was a blowjob class. And I remember being there, like looking at the presenters and being like, this must be stri- some straight people shit. This is some het folk shit. Uh, <laughs> you say it with like a southern, like with the hillbilly accent. Gotta be this is some, some het folk shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I remember just being there like, this, this is strange, but all right, sure, whatever. I'm, I'm going to watch. I'm going to learn. I'm going to do the things and be like, okay, I haven't really learned anything, but all right, sure. And then afterward, going to a rope class again. And so I just started picking it up and learning, like, the the, the sexy parts. You know, what what the, the, the interest for me has always been the chemical response to kink and fetish and leather and, like, those things. At least at the very beginning, that was what the thing was. Like, now when I play, I also still really like playing with that chemical response. But then the first time I was exposed to leather, like, really, was at uneagle and it wasn't so much the actual gear itself that got me interested it was the kind of interactions i was seeing from the people who were identifying as leathermen and it was more of like the authenticity the unapologetic nature of like being the most authentic version of themselves that really kind of caught was what really got my attention at the very beginning because i was like i want to be that person how do i become that person Hmm. and when you say most authentic do you mean like in every aspect or sexually or socially or like it was it was the social aspect it was the sexual aspect it was like this you know how you just walk by someone sometimes and they just reek of confidence mm-hmm. like that was kind of my first experience in leather um in a leather space where i was like everyone in here the people at least i was looking at i was like they just know who they are and who they are is a fucking pervert and that's awesome have you observed over the years now looking back any distinct or defining changes in the way you've grown over the last six years like have you reached that point you think um i i think so i think i have um at least for myself become a little bit more grounded in who i think i am i think i know myself a lot better than i did um and that just obviously comes with age too but i think a lot of what my like growth as far as leatherman is over this period is learning to be okay with my shame 
but not letting my shame define me. Mm. Um, Cause I mean, there is a lot of shame that is associated with, I mean, a lot of what we've talked about already in the past um, in the like, last, last little bit. And I think I, the big thing for me was taking some of that and that and kind of redirecting it into making myself happy and confident and powerful, like feeling powerful kind of a thing. Okay. And I think those are lessons I learned in leather spaces because I didn't have those kind of mentors like really growing up um, that weren't just kind of toxic. Got it. I'm going to steal something from a friend of mine who has, um, go listen to her show, listeners, it's called Sex Stories Podcast, but she always starts off her podcast with a shameometer, zero being the the least bit of shame and then 10 being like the most shame. She actually asked me this question and I never considered it before. She's like, what's your personal shameometer right now? Is it no shame? And I thought, you know, <laughs> like walking around and living my everyday life, I thought... I never really feel shame, but then I really thought about it. I was like, you know, I'm like a four, I'm like a five because live like learning to deal with shame and to go beyond like that feeling of shame is like one thing, like having no shame. I don't know if, I mean, I, I don't know if I will ever have zero shame. I mean, what, what would be your personal shameometer today? Hmm. I mean, probably closer to no shame mm-hmm. um like honestly i don't know I, on a scale of like one to ten where like one is i guess zero to ten where zero is no shame and ten is literally i can't walk without feeling bad um i might put myself like at a two in general mm-hmm. typically i don't feel shame if it's brought on by someone else right um typically i'm i just i i will i will quote unquote shame myself because i know i can do better kind of a thing Mm-hmm. But generally, I, I feel not super shameful in most of the things I do. Okay, so that that little two number comes from like internal shame that you're yeah. doing to yourself, kind of thing. Yeah, little things that I'm yeah. still you know working on on you know on myself, which is good because it means I still have things to work on. Yeah, there's room for you to grow, kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, like it's hard for me to feel shame from somebody else because I'm like, well, you just don't know. Like, fuck you. Um, it, the shame comes additionally from like myself. Like when I discover I'm into something that I never thought I'd be into, I'm like, oh shit, I'm even more perverted than I thought. <laughs> like, what does yeah, that mean? The, like, that's a weird one with, uh, with like the kink and, and fetish stuff. There, there are things that I'm like, that I always have a little bit of guilt, uh, yeah. doing or getting involved in or whatever. Yeah. There's, there's a, like. I remember my first time getting into water sports. Uh-huh. I was like, I shouldn't be enjoying this. Right. But also, my dick just hit the ground so hard. <laughs> or not hit the ground, hit, hit my shorts so hard. I was yeah. like, this is, I don't understand. Conversely, like, there are things that I'll only top. Like, I'll only do as a top because I, well, for lots of reasons. But, like, when I tell somebody about it either way, they're just like, that's that's not okay. And I'm like... Well, it's not okay for you. Right. And it's just like once you discover that, it's like, what does that mean for the rest? I like I'm being like dramatic here, but it's always it's in my brain. Like it's like, what does that mean for the rest of your sexual life then? And like your needs and your desires and like how does that change your dynamic with people and like all of these things come to surface. Like Yeah. And I think a lot of it um uh, for me on that aspect is when I tell somebody that I'm into, you know let's call them the taboo stuff, like some of the taboo, taboo stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, I don't want you to do that to me. And I'm like, that's fine. We don't have to. Just because right. I'm into it doesn't mean you have to be. Right. 
And also, like, just because I mentioned it doesn't need it doesn't mean I need it to get off. Exactly, exactly. I love that question. People always ask, like, on Grinder and stuff, like, "What are you into?" Oh, I'm into this, and they're like, "Oh, I'm not into that." I'm like, "Well, I didn't say I was gonna like slap you in the face and piss in your mouth. Like, I just said I'm into that." <laughs> like, what's what's Grinder? I've never heard of that. Oh my god, it's like Christian mingle. Oh, that's awesome. I've actually heard it was like a Bible app. I just can't. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. If anybody knows the meme that I'm referencing, I hope you got a good chuckle out of that. Uh, so you you are Mr. San Diego Leather 2018. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. How, what? Like, how in the world did we go over six years from zero to Mr. San Diego Leather? Uh, yeah, that, that was, what's even crazier is that that was, I think, the three-year mark. Um, oh my gosh. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cause yeah. yeah. Uh, the six year mark is when I became the producer. Right. Um, okay. That's today. Yeah. That's now. Yeah. Yeah. That's today. Yeah. Um, it, I honestly, so the big change for me was seeing that the leather community I was involved in wasn't the leather community I wanted to be involved in. What do you mean by that? There was a lot of, and there is a lot of segmentation of the leather community down here. San Diego, you know, depending on who you ask, they're going to be a salad bowl or, or a melting pot, right? Either it's a bunch of cultures that have crossed into each other and are blending well, or it's a bunch of vegetables that are kind of all living in the same place, but they're still each their own vegetable. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of like how our leather community is. We have so many people who travel here from other parts of the country that bring what that looks like in Maryland and what that looks like from Chicago and from San Francisco and from here and from there and from XYZ places. And they kind of throw them together and expect it all to work. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say it doesn't because everyone is entitled to leather however they want to do leather. But I, being a Latin man, primarily, you know, you know, I guess homosexual, um, like all these things, I kept looking around for somebody who looked like me in leather spaces, somebody who was um, was brown, somebody who was not the most hyper-masculine human being in the world, somebody who was under 30, you know, people of color. I was looking for people who I could identify with, and I didn't see it. Mm-hmm. The people I did identify with, or the people I did uh, connect with, were mostly white gay leather men, and that's cool. That's awesome. I still love them to death. Like, I love them. Like, even today, I will reach out to them whenever I have questions or concerns or comments or whatever. But I had a moment thinking back to what I was saying earlier when I was in high school and had, and it was also like the mentor to these other gay kids who has no one to look up to. Like I wanted to have somebody to look up to. Yeah. And the person who was Mr. San Diego in 2017, his platform was very much this be who you needed. And I realized that hmm. if I didn't have the person I needed, I needed to be the person that somebody else would need someday. So then I ran for a contest and I was the idiot who won. Uh, <laughs> no, I I I loved I loved doing my title year, you know. And the thing is, I, during my title year was the the cool thing was, I was also just getting back into school, and I was talking about I was talking about in my title year privilege, mm-hmm. um, and like I said earlier, I'm Latin of Latin descent. I'm male, cisgendered. So, and I like to think I'm pretty well spoken. I'm pretty well educated. So I've said it over the years. Like if you don't know what I look like, most people assume I'm closer to white. And because of that, I get a lot of privileges thrown my way. A lot of people in leather don't. Leather women, trans folk, um, people under the age of 30, 
other people of color, like they just don't get a lot of privileges in leather spaces. And for me, it was, well, I have all these things that I pass with because I am cis, I'm white passing, I am male. Like, so I started using the privileges that I had to really not create, but hold space for mm. people. And that was kind of the big turning point in my leather journey about who I wanted to be as a leatherman because I wanted a space for everybody. I didn't want anybody to feel alone. Um, I mean, legitimately, my title year is like hashtag. My, my, you know, my message for the year was like, no one deserves to feel alone. Let's walk together. And that's what we did. That, that's, that was what I've promoted for the last several years. That's what I keep promoting. I like leather spaces for everybody, which is not to say that anybody doesn't deserve their own unique space, though. I think it's really interesting that, like, you bring up the point that, like, yeah, even though you come from Latin descent and you, you know, may look the way you do physically, like, the way you present and everything like that, like, if people are just hearing your voice or whatever, there's still a lot of privileges that that you have. And I think, like, I, I mean, I myself, too, like, listening to my voice, unless you, like, see me, you don't really know that, like, I'm Latino at all, right? Mm. And I always get that, like... I always think of that scene from Selena where they're like, oh, you're like not Mexican enough for the Mexicans and you're not white enough for the Americans. And all, because that's, yep. I feel like I live in that kind of space because yeah. people are like, oh, you don't speak fluent Spanish, then you're not Mexican. I'm like, well, like my culture and everything is Mexican about it. It's like, you know, right. this weird limbo that you have to live yeah. in. Kind of. And the one thing that I find to be super interesting in Southern California, not just San Diego, because I've, I've traveled, you know, let, let's call it south of L.A., um, like we have a lot of POC title holders and not just, not just recently, like, but spanning back, we have a lot of POC title holders, which is super neat because I can, I mean, obviously we also have a lot of concentration of POC folk, but it's very interesting to me that when we all go to stuff though, we put on, um, our customer service voice or, um, <laughs> I hope that made sense. Wait, uh, <laughs> Okay, just explain that a little further for me. <laughs> the, the, like, politically correct um, persona. Okay. Um, the, 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 the palatable version of ourselves for people who don't want to deal with the most raw version. I see. And it, it's funny to me, it just happens. Um, because most, I, I, at least in my experience, most of us have had to do that kind of code switching thing for years. Yeah. So we're just so used to it that it just become second nature no that's really interesting like yeah you're right we've grown up like having to filter ourselves and the way we present ourselves just you know being in the closet or and coming out from that like that's for a lot of us most of our upbringing and then when we mm -hmm. finally come out and we are trying to be like our most authentic selves like we still have that kind of what would you call it like a lingering form of habit you know yeah like it's, it's, there's a word for it, but basically it's just, yeah, I guess lingering habit is the easiest way to putting it. I can't remember the actual word that. Like it's some sort of survival mechanism that still exists from the past. Kind yeah. Of thing. Defense mechanism. Yeah. A defense mechanism. That's what it is. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So your leather title, I mean, what was that year like and how did it look? I mean, you kind of served on this platform of like a space for everybody. How did that pan out? Uh, I mean, generally pretty well. Um, the thing that we did, or I did during my title year really, th that I like to think I did really well, is that I had um, title wives. I, ha I was Mr. San Diego Leather, I had a San Diego Boot Black, and a Ms. San Diego Leather. Mm. Um, so, m uh, our, our Ms. had to resign um, early in the year, so it was just me and my Boot Black, and she and I pretty much 
didn't go anywhere unless we could both go. Hmm. Um, and that's not necessarily that was we both went to every event together. It was a matter of if I'm getting an invitation, so is she. Um, and we made a point of making that very like, like very apparent to everybody we were we were seeing, um, or we every anytime we went to something, it was we were together. We were working together. We did all the things together because we were both under thirty at the point. At that point, I'm a POC, so it was it was we really strive to make those things very clear. And then we, a lot of our events, like the things we'd produce ourselves or the things we'd go to or the things we'd fundraise for or things we'd support, were in support of people of color, trans folk, leather women, uh, marginalized folk, et cetera, et cetera. That was a lot of what we did. Um, is that to say we didn't create um, spaces for ourselves and people who were closer to, to us? No, like I definitely hosted plenty of men's parties. But when we did those things, it wasn't, with the intention of excluding people. It was the intention of, it wasn't with the intention nor the presentation that it was an event that excluded women or trans people because we all, we welcomed to trans men to every one of our male events mm-hmm. um, or men's events, you know, however you want to present them. Uh, we, and we invited non-binary folk that said, hey, if you present any kind of masculine energy ever, you're welcome because we were creating spaces that were for a type of energy, not the people, we, not, not just this person. Right, um, but you still wanted and, and to that, create your own sacred spaces. Right, sacred spaces are important, and the reality is, men's spaces tend to get away with more or get more readily um, approved by the leather community. So when things came up, we were like, "Hey, it's time that we do a women's event." I would go up to my shash wife, or you know, the San Diego Girls of Leather, or any number of organizations down here, Desire, and say, "Hey." How can I help you put together a thing? How can I help promote it? What can I do to benefit you? Is there something I can do to benefit? Do you want help? If yes, how can I help? If no, I'll back off. Right. And I think that's that's an important lesson um, is to know that again, we're not making spaces, we're holding spaces. Got it. Yeah, I think that's really important that you said that. Like, do you want me to help or do you not want? Like, you want me to back off <laughs> because like it's yeah. one thing to be like. I'm a man and I'm going to come in and make your space for you. Like it's like, yeah, unless it's, they want uh, you to. It's the argument that's been made about like the, the savior syndrome where people see somebody in distress or a community in distress and like, okay, so what can I do to fix the problem? Right. It's like literally nothing. Just shut up and, and listen. And sometimes that's all you need to do. Just literally don't do anything except shut up and listen. <laughs> and so that's like the that's what I tried to do. Yeah. Most of my title year is I just tried to shut up and listen and figure out what, what was within my power, my right, and my comfort to yeah. help other people? And like, I also want to bring up the the idea that, like, you know, you did you did hold those spaces for everybody, but then you also had your own like men's events and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. um, it's yeah. interesting because I talked to a lot of people, and I think the majority of people that I've spoken with support the idea of like let's make the meat and potatoes for everybody, but it's okay to have your own men's event or your own women's event or your own whatever event yeah everyone gets their own side dish the problem well i don't want to say the problem but like the issue that i've run into is that when those men's events or whatever special events that are focused do happen they often come with backlash from other spaces saying that they're like they're being excluded and i'm always going back to the thought like well i thought it was okay to have like these Right. Singular event. So I think that's also something that and maybe it's a communication kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know. I would argue that a, a big part of that is the way it's presented. 
I think you have a lot of people in marketing departments who see a target demographic and specifically market to those demographics, which is great. Like, do the thing that makes you money. But in doing so, make themselves unappealing to anybody who doesn't fit that demographic. Hmm. So, you know, when, for example, when I try and do a men's event or when I'm doing a men's event, one, I make it very clear that it's not a men's event because who the fuck am I to tell anybody what man is? Um, right. But I tell people, you know, it is an energy, it is an event for people who exhibit it's this, a kind of energy that is identified with masculinity. Whatever that means to them, I'm not here to gatekeep. Like, if masculinity for you means heels and a tutu, hell fucking yes. Mm. If masculinity for you means, like, thigh-high boots and literally head-to-toe leather, also hell fucking yes. I'm not here to, to gatekeep on that at all. But I think when I present it that way, it, and somebody, you know, asks me the question, are trans men allowed? My immediate response is transparency. So if I, you know, I've, I've posted these events, I get these messages on Facebook um, or I get these messages on Recon or wherever, and they're like, well, can such and such go? And for me, it's as transparent as, as, transparent as I can be, I will be. So I'll, I'll send my response and then I'll also ask the question, do you mind if I share this conversation online? I want other people who are asking the same question to know, to know the answer is still yes. Mm-hmm. Um, or why the answer, if, if the answer is no, why the answer is no. Right, um, right. So it's and, not and I up think to that's... you. You're not defining what masculinity is. It's up to that person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Got it. I mean, I've definitely had events where, like, we've had people who are who were not male or didn't identify um, masculine be turned away, and that's some that sometimes is just the venue's restriction. You know, uh, there's a venue down here that I host a couple of parties, used being one, and then the uh, boys will play being another, and the venue doesn't allow or hasn't. They might have changed this now. I haven't been in a while. Um, didn't allow anybody whose ID didn't have an M on it to enter. Hmm. And I, so I don't, I don't know if that's changed in recent years, but it was when I brought that up to them. So that's super trans exclusionary. Um, we started, at least for my events, we started finding a way to get trans men or to allow trans men in. Right. Um, despite their IDs not necessarily having the quote unquote correct marker. Right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, like, over the last several years, I've met a number of trans men who I think are even more masculine presenting than I will ever be, you know, like, so yeah. I don't think like it necessarily matters. Like if you have an M or an F or whatever on your ID, like that, it's that or an X or whatever it is. It's like, you're right. Like it's a, it's the masculine like energy. Like if that's how you present and that's like who you are, then like, who are we to tell you that you're not, you know? Yep. I don't even care if it's how you present. If it's how you identify, that's exactly. that's all I give a shit about. Yeah. Like, conversely, what what I think is really funny is that women's women's events, or at least non male events, mm-hmm. um, I have found a lot of uh, non male events. Just the people who go to non male events tend to not care that male like male folks have our own event, mm-hmm. or not. Or yeah, yeah. Like I, I found that to be the case. Maybe it's not the case up there, but I went to something, you know, this past weekend where it was a men's event, an event for male energy, um, and they don't allow women in. And I, I can attest to this. I've seen them turn away women at the door, but they do allow trans men in, which is awesome. But outside this event, there was an entire protest by these trans women saying that this event was trans exclusionary. Hmm. And I sat there and I was like, but it, but, it, but it's not it's not trans exclusionary. Like I can like, I just fucked three trans men. Uh, 
-hmm. Like, what do you mean it's trans-exclusionary? And then realizing that they were really protesting it being trans-women exclusionary, hmm. which was frustrating for me because the problem wasn't that it was trans-exclusionary. The problem that it was excluding women. And if the problem is that they're excluding women, it's a private event designed for, for you know, this target demographic. Right. Um, and then at what point is it okay for us to have separate spaces for yeah. private events if... Yeah, it's like this weird. I don't know what the word is. Dichotomy or, or yeah, dichotomy might be, might be the word. Um, yeah, it's we want to have our our spaces. People want to have their own spaces, and I think it's weird that sometimes when they get them, other people are upset about that. Yeah, I mean, and um, then vice versa. Like we have a lot of events that are like for everybody. For example, like I mean, at the Bullet Bar. The bullet bar is for everybody. Like anytime we have an event, even if it's like some kind of play thing, um, yep. everybody's there, you know? And yep. so I don't know. I don't know how to, we're not going to solve the issues today, yeah, I, but <laughs> yep. it's just presenting the, the thought, I guess. is. I, I think presenting the thought and giving insight from a different uh, angle is, is always helpful though. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and that's most of what I do is <laughs> yeah. try and provide insight. And, you know, tomorrow I might speak to a guest who was in the streets protesting and maybe get their perspective. I don't know. But um, yeah. I think that's the beauty of just, like, opening up the discussion, you know, and mm -hmm. being able to talk about it. I agree. Okay. Well, before we go, I do want to ask you a little bit about your kinky life. I mean. <laughs> sure. That's why we're all here, isn't it? That's why we're all here, yes. Uh, let, let's talk about some of your kinks. Do you have, like, a laundry list? Like, what are your kinks? I mean, so when I talk to people, like, uh, on, you know, that, that Bible app, uh, Grinder, I think you called it. Um, <laughs> yeah, Christian Mingle Bible app. Christian Mingle. <laughs> um, no, when I talk to people on those apps, like Recon or Scruff or Grinder or wherever, I, you know, somebody asks me, what am I into? I, I guess my go-to when I tell people is, like, I'm a uniforms guy. I like being in uniform. I like playing in gear. I like throwing on boots. I like scene-based power surrender and power exchange. Um, I like bondage. I like flogging. I like throwing a single tail. You know, I like a lot of things, but for me, it's really about the surrender of control for X length of time. Um, whether I'm topping or bottoming or subbing or doming or whatever, I want to know that the person I am with trusts me explicitly or that I can trust them explicitly. So when I play with, you know, my master, it it is a moment of like, I have to switch my head off and remember that, He's going to take care of me no matter what. And I am absolutely giving up control. And I am proudly wearing my collar for him. And I am proudly licking his boot and cleaning that up for him. I am proudly taking his whip and single tail. Like, if my if my uh, back lesions um, start to bleed, I know that he's going to take care of me. He's going to wipe them down and clean them off for me. I know I'm going to be taken care of at the end of that. And I also know that it's probably going to come with snuggles and some really good sex. Um, yeah. Um, conversely, if I am, you know, in a dominant role and I'm playing with somebody, whether it's the first time I've played with them or the hundredth time I've played with them, I always have a system of, of getting somebody into the headspace I want them to, whether it's, um, I want you to wear this kind of, um, th I want you to wear these clothes, um, when you arrive, or I want, um, this to be part of your protocol when you get here, or I want, you know, uh, our kind of play is going to be focused on here until I can tell that your head is where I need it to be. Or, you know, X, Y, Z thing. And it's for me, it's getting somebody into the right headspace and then 
letting them know that they're going to be taken care of, even if I'm going to be doing X, Y, Z number of things to them. And, and that, that's kind of where my play really lives. Um, you generally won't find me playing outside of my house. Um, you generally won't find me playing where I'm not in some kind of gear. Okay. Um, I do like uniforms of all si- of all types. I I guess I'm most well known for rope bondage. That's what people like locally know me for because I do a lot of it. So let me ask you a little bit about the uniform because I I picked up on the fact that you said like when you're in a subspace or dom space, you're looking to get them to a certain headspace. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yep. So the uniform is that what gets you into the headspace or helps you get into the headspace? Um, part of it, yeah. So it's. Uh, this is actually something I actually got from with being with my master. He's a uniforms guy too. So it wasn't something I really understood until I was with him. And then once it it kind of helps to reinforce that power differential or power, power difference, you know? Mm-hmm. Like when I, you know, come home and, you know, my master's in, um, you know, any kind of, any one of his uniforms and I am coming in in short shorts and a tank top because I just bartended the last, you know, five or six hours or whatever it was. I'm like, oh, oh, that's right. That's that's where I need to be right now. Yeah. And it does help reinforce that, that um, you know, mental state. When I throw on gear, um, I like head-to-toe leather. I like hmm. wearing the cap. I like wearing the uniform shirt and the Sam Brown and the tie and the jollipers uh, or jodhpurs and the high boot and i like having all of those things when i play because for me it helps me to it almost is armor like for me and it keeps me in that space it's your batman suit when you come it's my batman suit (laughs) have you ever seen me in batman in the same room (laughs) i'm gonna go back to that all day today (laughs) well i know we only have a handful of minutes here left before you have to go I do want to know, are there any particular moments, stories, kink scenes in the last, you know, six years or so of your leather journey that really stood out to you? And if so, could you share that with us? Like all of them, all of my scenes are just, well, all of my scenes once, like after like the the, the initial learning phase mm-hmm. have been really memorable for one reason or another. I don't repeat the same scene twice, unless it's suspension because... That's just methodology. But all of my scenes have had some really good memory to them, from accidentally putting jalapeno in somebody um, <laughs> to, you know, the first scene I had with my master um, where I came over and it was my first time licking a boot. It was my first time, you know, getting a single-tailed. You know, my first time doing a lot of things were, were, were that time. Hmm. Or, you know, going to teach up in Reno a couple of years ago and meeting a deaf guy who wanted to play and having my first scene with a deaf uh, with a deaf partner and literally remembering I was in Reno halfway through it remembering I could do breath play there knocking him out and then waving his dick at his girlfriend like that was fun um like you know I've had so many good scenes over the years that it's hard to just pick one or two that I'm like these were awesome yeah because they all have you know their staple on them now and and that that's really what I love about it is that it's I want to make memories with people that they're not going to forget. I also, and I'll put this this way, I have uh, very strongly, and I've said this for many years now, I like to be the point at which anybody I play with compares the rest of their play with. Because you like to be the winner, like you said. (laughs) I like to be the winner. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, so that's why that's why I try and make all of my scenes some for, some memorable in some aspect. Yeah. Um, and I and I do like to know what people are into before I play with them, so that I can kind of base what I what I want to do off of that. Because if they're not into it, I'm not going to be into it. Right. Um, as, as a top or bottom uh, dom sub doesn't matter. Like I want everybody to be. I want them to be into it because that's going to get me there. That's that's. So sorry, can't. I don't have one good like no, one good I mean, scene. I just have a lot like, of really good scenes. I mean, all of these, like every experience for you is like a new chapter or story in your book, mm. and it's just part of what makes you you, um, which I think is significant and special. For those who are just getting into kink or just discovering it, what would be your word of advice to them? Um, if you're just getting into kink, I would recommend finding what your local community has around. And if you don't have a local community that you can trust, um, there are lots of national communities you can. Um, check out the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom. Um, they have a huge list of organizations and communities that they can refer you to. If you are interested in Zoom classes, I know the club that I'm a part of, we do, I want to say like 11, 11 to 14 classes a month mm -hmm. um, on different kinks and skills and conversations and just things getting to know people. And right now, because of COVID, we've been on Zoom um, a lot. Like not all of our events are on Zoom anymore, but several of them are. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been really nice. But like also try everything. Mm -hmm. And don't just try it as a dom. Don't just try it as a sub. Just try it and get some experience and learn what you like and don't be ashamed of what you like. And if you don't like it, that's cool too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. With our last little bit here, would you mind kind of touching on a little bit about the organizations that we mentioned at the beginning? We've got uh, Club X, Fetishman San Diego, uh, San Diego Leather and Boot Black. Sure. Um, so San Diego Leather and Boot Black is the sixth iteration of San Diego Leather Pride. San Diego Leather Boot Black is still kind of coming up to, to what, we're, what we're going to be because we're coming back after COVID as a new entity. But we are going to be the producers of San Diego Leather Pride um, still, um, which will be at the end of February or March. So please keep an eye out for that if you're interested in coming down to sunny San Diego in the beginning of the year where it's cold everywhere else. Um, the weather's always perfect here. Um, uh, shameless plug. Uh, but yeah, so, so San Diego Leather, Leather, Leather Pride and San Diego Leather Boot Black have been going since uh, the late 70s. Um, we're on our 37th, we'll be on our 37th Mr. San Diego Leather this year, 27th Miz, and our, I want to say, 6th Boot Black. Um, so we, we, we have a lot going for us. This is the first year that I will be running it as the producer. Um, I've been helping the production team the last couple of years, so I'm really excited about it. Nice. Fetishman San Diego has been around for about 10, 11 years now. They are a men's organization to two events a month. I think one education, one discussion. I don't actually remember right now. Right now, with the weather the way it is, we've act they've actually been doing um, vaccinated-only pool parties, which is awesome. So people cool. are staying really safe. People, I've, I've not had the chance to go because, again, I work. Um, but I've seen uh, some family-friendly photos um, where people are wearing masks if that's what they want to do. But then uh -huh. they also have areas where if you aren't masked, you know, they have areas for play and dungeon equipment. It's really fun. And, and you know, they're not a like super formal organization they're not you know a pledge uh a backpatch club um they're just a bunch of dudes who want to get together and hang out and share space with other dudes and that's and it's been and when i was their president we had really great attendance of all ages and it was amazing and then lastly club x san diego um like i said earlier i'm their vice president right now um they've been around for formally as club x they've been around for 26 years um before that they were the national leather association san diego 
Um, so we've been around even longer than then. Um, we do 14-ish classes a month, um, everything from introduction to rope bondage to introduction to flogging to just a men's discussion group, which I lead. Um, we do uh, play parties every month when the world's not on fire. Um, <laughs> we do higher level courses. I know I'm teaching a suspension workshop in some time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm teaching a suspension workshop. I know that much. That's um, okay. You know, I know I like they've been around for a long time. When we were talking earlier about people who want to get into kink, if you if nothing else and you have nothing in your area, check out clubxsd.org and look at our website. Like look at what classes we have coming up. Join us on Zoom. You'll always be welcome. Most of our classes are 7 to 9 p.m. Um, Pacific. But we have people lately who've been coming to our classes from literally all across the world i was floored when i had somebody in australia attend my how to wow. teach a workshop workshop wow that's amazing yeah so um those are the three that i'm the most involved in down here i also am involved with others but uh those those are the three i'll i'll keep on the okay. on the list and i'll make sure to put links to all of those in, in the description so people can just click on them um dorian i want to thank you again for coming on the show how can we reach out to you how can we stay connected with you um if you want to stay connected with me you can uh, follow me on any number of platforms. If you just want to hit on me, uh, my recon, <laughs> my recon is uh, Boy Daddy Verse. Okay. You can ask me about Boy Daddy some other time. My Twitter is oh god, what is my Twitter? My Twitter is Boy Daddy Verse. Also, uh, today I just learned. Um, okay. Let's see. What's my Instagram? I'm literally opening all my social media because I don't remember. My Instagram is Boy Dorium, and my name is D O R I A M, and then. Uh, if you're one of those like TikToky folk and you like nerd stuff, uh, you can also give me a follow on TikTok, and my TikTok is also at Boydorium. That's how you can reach me in general. Um, you can also find me on the on the Face Space if you're interested. Okay. Um, just search my name, awesome. find the picture of the one with the hanky, and you're, it's probably me. Awesome. Well, Dorium, thank you again for coming on the show. Do you have any last words for our audience? I don't know. You don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't. Not really. Uh, <laughs> I hope everyone has a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you guys for hanging out and listening and I appreciate you. And thank you for having me on the show, Brandon. That was, that was neat. Absolutely. <laughs> well, as always, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Twitter as Brandon Bullet LA. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay kinky.